Yeah, thank you, Austin and team. Kids, you are dismissed to your classes. You can follow Pastor Jeremiah. We're praying blessings over you, learning, good behavior, other things. Um, We loved having you with us in worship this morning. For the rest of you who are staying, it's great to see you today as well. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. And today we are continuing a series that we've been in this summer in the book of Proverbs. I have... I really love every series we do, but I've loved this one as well. Proverbs is this book about wisdom, and so I feel like every week I'm getting wiser. Um, I don't know if you're seeing it in me, Lois, but I feel it. Um, I hope it's true. And this week, I, I honestly didn't really have a very clear direction of what I was preaching going into the week. I knew it was going to be in Proverbs. I was exploring a few things, and then I read this material by Tim Keller, And it so spoke to me personally. It challenged me and encouraged me um, that I thought, I have to preach this just for myself because I want to dig into it further. And so I started exploring the topic that we're going to talk about this morning. And today we're going to talk about wisdom for the inner life. Wisdom for the inner life. See, the book of Proverbs One of the reasons I like it is it's a practical book. It's a book that's about how to navigate the complexities of our world with wisdom. It's about how to avoid unneeded difficulty and how to have peace and joy and self-control in a world that wants to challenge those things and steal them from you. You see, we at all times, all of us at times wrestle with this battle of the inner life, don't we? There's not a person in this room who will not relate to what we are talking about today. This is how Tim Keller says it. He says, the deep, conflicting, confusing, powerful, sometimes warring dynamic impulses and feelings that just roll through our hearts. Does that bring any moments of your life to mind? Today, Proverbs is going to offer us some some wisdom for dealing with those emotions. This morning, we're gonna talk about three things. The priority of the inner life, the complexity of the inner life, and then finally, where we find security for the inner life. The priority, complexity, security. They say, I'm no poet, but you'd never know it. Okay, here we go. Listen to this from Proverbs chapter 18. The human spirit can endure in sickness but a crushed spirit who can bear. It's important for us to know that the word spirit in the Hebrew scriptures is the word ruach. It's a really fun word to say, ruach. It's actually the word for wind. It's a word that has to do with with force. It has to do with power and energy. Keller says it's, it's what we might call today emotional energy, passion for life. That which propels us out into life, makes us want life, makes us want to take it on, navigate, and deal with it. Ruach is what gives us resolve in the face of challenges and obstacles before us. Ruach has to do with with motivation. Motivation to chase our dreams and face adversity along the way in doing so. So when, when Proverbs talks about having a crushed spirit, a crushed ruach, it's describing someone who looks out at life and lacks desire. 
someone who's lacking joy, someone who's lacking passion to get out there and deal with the challenges of our world. You see, friends, to be crushed in spirit is to feel done, finished, out of gas, exhausted, overwhelmed. You ever been there? You ever felt that way? Ever been crushed in spirit? Friends, the Bible acknowledges that in so many ways we will face this. The Bible says difficult, the Bible's very honest, (laughs) difficult times will come. The Bible says your zest and zeal for life will be challenged in this world. And so it's very important for us to both be aware of and give great care to our inner being, our inner life, our spirit, our ruach. So that when the hard times in life come our way, we will not be crushed. You see, if you look at our verse, what it says actually is that sickness, physical ailments are hard, but they can be sustained by a person with a strong spirit. But if you have a broken spirit, not even a strong body can get you through. We see this all the time in people, don't we? People who deal with daunting physical challenges, and yet they are filled with life and joy. And we think, wow, how do they do it? It's a strong inner spirit. They are not crushed. I think of a lot of people, but I think, I thought this morning of Steve Hanamura. If you don't know Steve, he's, he's been a part of our church for a long time. He's one of the most positive, driven, joy-filled people I know. He's also been blind since birth. That's a challenge in our world. And it's not that Steve like, hides this fact. He's very honest about the struggles and difficulties of being blind. And yet, and yet, the strength of Steve's spirit overshadows his struggles. Friends, this is why the Bible is always less concerned about external circumstances and more concerned with internal health. The Bible is always less concerned with external circumstances and more concerned with internal health. We see this in the New Testament, friends, when Paul prays for the Christians in the early church. He's he's praying for people who are facing all sorts of difficulties and struggles in this world. They're facing ridicule, persecution, division, even death sometimes. And yet, Paul's prayers for them are not focused on their circumstances improving. Does he care about their circumstances? Yes. Would he love for them to improve? Of course he would. And yet that's not his focus. Listen to just one of these prayers. This is from Ephesians chapter three. It's one of my favorite passages. This is what he prays for these early followers of Jesus who are facing terrible things. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's internal stuff. 
Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You see what he's saying? He's reminding us here of this constant temptation that we have to put our focus on outer circumstances. But he's saying of utmost importance is your inner life. The good life, friends, our world will tell you, is found by working on things out here, getting all the things out here just so. But wisdom, Proverbs, the scriptures say the good life is actually found by paying attention to what is happening in here. Okay, that's the priority of the inner life. Now let's talk about the complexity of the inner life. Because the natural next question after talking about how important the inner life is, is, well, well then what do I do? How, how do I strengthen my spirit? How do I have like an, a healthy inner being? How do I create some resolve in me so that I don't get crushed when times do get hard because they will get hard? And friends, the Bible's answer to this question is complex. You see, it's not just read your Bible. It's not just go to church, just, just pray more or do something really nice for your pastor and everything will be okay. I mean, those are good things. But they are often and far too often for Christians just simple, easy, trite answers to a very complex question. Listen to me here. The Bible knows we are complicated, intricate, holistic beings. And so to be internally healthy, the scriptures say, is multifaceted. I'm going to give you just a few things that Proverbs offers us to strengthen and have a strong inner being, inner spirit that has resolve. Proverbs 14.30, a sound mind, that's the inner life, right? A sound mind makes for a robust body, but runaway emotions corrode the bones. The Hebrew word translated here, runaway emotions, it's sometimes in other translations, it's translated envy or jealousy or passion. A lot of different words. Why? Because it technically means, it literally means hot feelings. <laughs> hot feelings corrode the bones. Emotions that sort of well up inside of us and begin to control us. And Proverbs is saying our inner life, those emotions are connected to our physical life. How we feel emotionally impacts us physically and vice versa. This is why trauma and abuse are oh so harmful. Because not only are they bad, not only are they hurtful, they, they put people in a heightened state of emotional distress that is very difficult to escape from. And that distress can have a devastating impact for days, weeks, months, years, even decades. And it can even impact their physical health. You see, sometimes we think of the Bible as a, as a book about morality. Like it's all about rules and morality. Don't be bitter because it's wrong. Don't be resentful because it's not loving. Don't seek revenge because it's not like Jesus. Don't be jealous because it's bad. But the Bible, friends, is more robust than that. Not only does it say that those things aren't reflective of God's heart, that they're morally wrong, they're also, it says, not good for you, not good for your health. They're not just morally bad, they're also physically bad for us. 
This is why things like forgiveness and grace and thankfulness are so very powerful. Not just because they're good things, but because they promote healthy emotions, which leads to physical health in your life. God cares about the whole of you. I watched a documentary this week about Manti Teo, and I don't know if you remember him, but he was a Hawaiian football player who went to the University of Notre Dame, and he was a stud, a stud. And he became the runner-up for the Heisman Trophy his senior year, and as a part of that year, um, the big story in the news was that on the same day, his grandmother died and his girlfriend died. Do you guys remember this? It was a really intense story. They covered it. The news was all over it. Notre Dame had an undefeated that season that year. They went to the championship game. Um, Manti's in the, the, the finals for like the Heisman Trophy. He ended up getting runner-up, like I said. But in the end, it was discovered, you remember? That his girlfriend was not even real. That she did not exist. She was fake. And as it turns out, the entire relationship was over Facebook and on the telephone that he never met her in person. And then she died. Someone posing as her cousin called Manti to tell him about her death. And he was devastated. And the whole thing was an elaborate hoax. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. And this kid, this poor kid who got scammed, he not only lost millions of dollars in the NFL draft, millions, he also lost his reputation. He was ridiculed mercilessly by the news. And he had to go through tremendous amounts of emotional trauma. But the most impactful part of the entire documentary for me was at the very end. Because at the very end of this show, Manti sits and he looks into the camera and he says, to the person that did all of these evil, awful, horrific, painful things to him. He says, if you're watching this show, I want you to know I forgive you and I want what's best for your life. You see, Manti understands something here so, per, so, so poignant that he has no control of the external circumstances. But what he could control was his response, his inner life. And he offers forgiveness instead of vengeance. Why? Because he doesn't want this moment in his life to end up rotting his bones. Friends, do you know that according to medical doctors, stress, which is the product of worry, malice, fear, bitterness, envy, slander, vengeance, stress can cause Depression, anxiety, and personality disorders, heart disease, high blood pressure, strokes, obesity, and other eating disorders, menstrual problems, a loss of sexual desire, acne, psoriasis, eczema, hair loss, and gastrointestinal problems, just to name a few. You want stress? On the flip side, a healthy diet and exercise promote a whole slew of positive things, right? Good sleep patterns, positive emotions, increased energy, better mental health. Science now tells us very clearly, and the Bible has been saying it for over 3,000 years, your emotional and inner life and your physical life are connected. So if you want a good 
strong, healthy inner life have a good physical life and vice versa. Here's our next point. Our inner life is connected to our relational life. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety weighs down the heart. He's talking there about a crushed spirit, right? Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Proverbs was saying, do not downplay your emotional need for other people. You see, for some of us, when times get hard or difficult or stressful or overwhelming, we tend to go in a hole. We tend to stay in our houses or lock ourselves in our rooms or, or we go out because we have to, but we never share what's really happening inside of us with anyone. Proverbs is saying this is not good because we need each other. Just this week on several occasions, I had friends who either wrote or called or texted, all three, to just say, hey man, I'm thinking about you. And then they offered a kind word. One of my friends actually sent over a gift. Just sent a gift to my house. It was actually for my wife, but it was for both of us. It was a gift that just says, I see you, I love you, I support you. Just lifted up. Me and us emotionally. Proverbs is saying, friends, we never need friends more than when we were wrestling with a crushed spirit. The devil wants to isolate you. God wants to bring community around you. So let me ask you this morning, who are the people that will walk with you, not just through the good times, but through the emotional valleys of life? And maybe an equally as important question Who are the people that you are called and committed to walk with when their life gets hard, difficult, and messy? Maybe you need to text them right now or after my sermon's over. (laughs) Next, Proverbs says, our inner life is connected to our moral life. Now we're getting to the deep waters. The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Friends, this is actually a quote. The writer of Proverbs is quoting the Bible here, quoting Leviticus 26, where God says to the people, if you disobey me, you will flee, even though no one pursues you. You'll live in fear and you will be paranoid. You see what he's saying? He's talking about your conscience. He's talking about feelings of guilt and shame that will plague you. He's talking about what happens to your inner life and emotions when you know that you are not living rightly. When there's a pattern of sin that is unconfessed in your life. When you've you've justified your behavior in your mind, but deep down, you still know that what you're doing is wrong. Proverbs says, this will eventually catch up with you. You can run, but you cannot hide. You will be pursued by your own guilty conscience, and this can lead to a crushed spirit. Again, we too often treat the Bible as a moral book. And yet, what we're being told here is not just that sin is bad. Don't do bad stuff because it's wrong. Don't, but the Bible says, don't do bad stuff because it will hurt you. It will harm you. It will possibly even eventually crush you emotionally. That's why the Bible says, I mean, again, oh, the Bible is so prudish, right? The Bible says stay away from sexual sin in your life. Not because the Bible's prudish, but because the Bible knows that stuff will plague your conscience. This is why the Bible says 
Stay away from things like envy and bitterness and slander and vengeance, things that just tend to sort of ruminate in your brain because that's the kind of sin that gets stuck in us and leads us down roads of emotional destruction. Let me ask you this this morning, friends. Is there a sin that you need to turn away from? And not just because it's wrong or bad or not honoring to the Lord, but because it is literally crushing your spirit. Furthermore, James 5.16 says this. This is good stuff. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Let me ask you this today, church. Is there a sin in your life you need to confess? Think about that. Maybe you've been denying it, you've been hiding it, but you really just need to confess it. Let's do this. Turn to a neighbor quickly and share. No, I'm just joking. That's a, I'm, <laughs> we're not going to do that today, but some of you were like, I'm never coming back. <laughs> Here's the truth, though. We in the evangelical church, we stink at confession. We stink at it. We, we do a lot of confession to the Lord, But scripture says there's something healing, something freeing about confessing to one another. And we too often do not do this. All right, one more. Proverbs says, our inner life is connected to our faith life. This is Proverbs 4.23. This could be a whole sermon in itself. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. We have to understand that when the Bible talks about heart, it's talking not just about our emotions. In our world, head equals logic and heart equals emotions, right? Not in the scriptures. In the scriptures, your heart is literally your core commitments. Your heart is the thing that you most fundamentally trust for safety, satisfaction, meaning, purpose, and fulfillment. Your heart is what you most fundamentally live for and what your ultimate hope is in. It's the very core of you. So when the Bible says, guard your heart, it's calling us to be painfully and and intentionally aware of what is at the center of our lives. It's asking the question, what's your anchor? What's your cornerstone? What's the thing that's holding you together? Because if you are relying on something that this world can take away, it's only a matter of time before your spirit gets crushed. If your anchor is actually unstable, at some point you're going to be devastated. Listen to this from Proverbs 13. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. See, this proverb is asking, is your hope, your faith, anchored to something that will eventually disappoint you? Or is it anchored to something that will give you life? I see this all the time in teens who are dating This is why, in my personal opinion, no one should be allowed to date until they're at least 17. I mean, at least get one year of good responsible driving under your belt before you decide to romantically attach yourself to another human. I mean, spend some good time figuring out who you are before you start looking to another person to define you. And if you don't like that, you can send me an email. If you're one of my kids, don't bother. (laughs) And here's why, here's why. When we're teens and all our emotions are still flowing and swirling, right? It's so easy to make that other person your anchor, your heart. 
It's like, of course you would, right? Wow, I remember the feelings. Wow, this person wants to date me? They think I'm cute. They think I'm special. That's so affirming. It makes me feel so good. How could this be bad? It feels so good. How could it be wrong, right? And then you throw a few hormones into the mix, and all of a sudden, the place where I'm finding safety, satisfaction, meaning, purpose, and fulfillment is not in the Lord, but in this other human. And then that other human moves on. They find someone cuter, and you're devastated, you're crushed, and maybe it's a good lesson. <laughs> Why? Why are you so devastated? Remember this? Remember when you first got your heart broken? Some of you who dated when you were like 14, it was a t- terrible choice, and then they broke up with you, and you were like, for weeks, just, ah, all right. Why? Why was it so hard? Because you accidentally made that person your anchor. You gave them your heart, your faith, even though you never would have said it this way, your faith was actually in them. And this leads to my final point. Where do we find security for the inner life? How do we gird up and fortify our souls so that we are not crushed by this world, right? So that the world doesn't have the ability to come in and devastate us. Here's what Proverbs 14.10 says. Each heart knows its own bitterness and no one else can share its joy. I'll be honest, I got some bad news before I got good news, okay? Some of you are not gonna like this, but you're gonna understand when I talk about it that it is actually true. This Proverbs is telling us that no one else in this world will ever fully understand you. Like the whole idea of like, you complete me, soulmate thing. Eh. Now, certainly there'll be people who get you and know you and relate to you on very, very deep levels. We've already talked about how those people are important. But there will always be moments in your life and parts of your personality the deepest parts of you, that no one else will ever get. I'm sure you've had this happen before, right? You've gone through something extremely hard. You've shared it with a friend. You've poured out your soul to them. You really think they get it, that they understand you, that you felt heard, right? But then weeks or maybe days or even hours later, they say or do something that tells you they didn't get it at all. And if you're married, you know this for sure, right? If you're single and you're thinking of getting married, grasp this now. My wife and I know each other extremely well. We have been together as a couple for nearly 30 years. We went to high school together. We went to college together. We did young adult life together. We have three kids together. We have a great marriage. I tell her all the time, you are my favorite person. There's not even a close second. My kids are like three miles back. And yet, there are still things about me that she doesn't get. And there are certainly things about her that I don't understand. I list them now, but I'm trying to hold on to this marriage. (laughs) Friends, here's the point. No person can ever know and understand you deeply enough to be the anchor of your soul and save you from a crushed spirit. That's part one of the bad news. Here's part two. Proverbs 16, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. You hear what that's saying? Ultimately, that proverb is saying, you don't even fully know yourself. The deepest parts of your motivations and desires and impulses and feelings are often even a mystery to you. In other words, Not only can no other person anchor your inner life, 
you can't anchor and manage your own inner life either. See, Proverbs is saying this. Wisdom tells us that only our creator, only the God of the universe who sees down into the very depths of your heart and life and soul, only he can guide and protect your inner life the way it was meant to be guided and protected. Let me paraphrase Tim Keller here again because this is so important, especially for church people. If God, he says this, if God is only somebody you believe in, if he's an abstraction or maybe he's somebody you don't believe in at all, if God is not a friend, if God isn't someone you know personally, if you don't often have a sense of God's reality being with you, putting his love and truth on your heart and giving you guidance, if you don't have an intimate, personal relationship with God, then how will you get through a crushed spirit when it comes your way? I shared this verse earlier, Proverbs 13. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. That word longing in Hebrew, in the original language, means this. The desire from the depths of your soul. But a desire from the depths of your soul, the desire from the depths of your soul fulfilled is a tree of life. Proverbs says this. When the deepest desires of your being are fulfilled, when you find something that is actually able to satisfy the deepest longings of your heart, then, then you will truly find life. Then you will have that resolve deep inside of you to make it through anything. Friends, I, I remember when that kind of longing started to plague me. I was a freshman in college, and some of the things that I was at that point anchoring my heart to relying on for safety and security and satisfaction and meaning and purpose and identity, some of those things started to feel unstable. I started to realize that my anchors weren't anchored. I was a freshman and suddenly I wasn't the star on the basketball team anymore. That sounds kind of silly and yet it was an anchor of my life for a long time. My girlfriend was at a different college and I was wondering, Will we make it? Will we stay together? Will she meet someone cuter at her school, right? I was far away from my mom and dad and my brother, my family for the very first time. All of a sudden, life started to feel untethered and God used all these things to cause me to wonder, what can I really count on in this world? What can I really rely on and anchor my life to? And then God revealed himself to me. And I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he became the anchor of my soul and he has been the anchor of my soul ever since. And he never moves. And he's always faithful and he's always there. And he's consistent and he knows every single part of me, the very best parts of Dave and the very worst parts of Dave. And yet he loves me unconditionally. And he invites me and calls me and helps me to become the person that he longs for me to be. Friends, today, maybe that's you. Maybe today you're listening to this message and your inner life is not stable. Maybe today the Holy Spirit is, is talking to you, maybe right now, and saying, you need to surrender your life to a God who will walk with you, as, as the scriptures say, through the valley of the shadow of death the hardest things in this world, and then even through death itself. See, here's the thing about our God. 
He wants to be your anchor. He wants to be your hope. He wants to ensure the very things that Paul says, that, that out of his glorious riches, you will be strengthened with power through his spirit and your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. That's what God longs for you. He longs that you will be rooted and established in love and will have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love. He wants you to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God so that your inner being will be strong and solid and resolved. That's what he longs for you to have. He wants to be your God, the anchor of your soul. And so maybe today you need to declare him as that for the first time. You need a new anchor in your life. Maybe today is the day where you just understand and realize and need to, to claim it and confess it. I need, I need you, God. I've been trying to manage my life and my inner life on my own, and yet I need to surrender to you. I need to put my faith and trust in you. Or maybe this morning you've already done that. You're here and you've done that. Maybe years ago, decades ago even. But today's again, again this week, you need to recommit. You need to say, yeah, Lord, you are my anchor. I, I've sort of shifted. And I've been looking to other things, other people, even my own self, and I need to shift back. I need to get connected to you again. If you want to do either of those things today, declare your trust in Jesus again, again, if you're a believer, or for the very first time, we're going to share this meal in just a moment. It's called the Lord's Supper. We do this regularly here at Cedar Mill. It's where we remember that God is trustworthy enough to anchor our lives to because he loved us so much that he gave his life for us, that he came to this earth to save us and redeem us at a very high cost. See, one of the reasons we can anchor our lives to God is because he is trustworthy enough to anchor to. This meal is a declaration of that. It's saying, yes, Lord, I need you I trust you. I rely on you. You are my God. You are my anchor. If you want to declare that today, if you're in a place to say that again or for the very first time, in just a second, I'm going to invite you to stand. You can move to one of the tables throughout the room. There's a couple in the front, a few back there in the middle. Grab your elements. Take them back to your seat. Hold on to them. We're going to share this meal, communion, the Lord's Supper, together in just a moment.